Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Talking about chicken a la king, mango and garbanzo, tabbouleh, real potatoes and vegetables with roasted garlic and basil, zucchini, ziti, granola, fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Guys, welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today, he's an amazing chef who comes from my hometown, Great Neck, New York. He is the winner of season two of Top Chef, back when we were still watching. He is the host of Knife Fight on the now defunct Esquire channel, but I'm hoping it gets scooped up soon because it was such a great show. He's also the chef owner of Ramen Hood in Los Angeles. Please welcome my good chef friend, Elon Hall. My good chef friend. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm ha- very happy to be here. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming. I'm happy to have you here. We haven't had a chef in a long time, and uh, I couldn't think of a better chef guest right now. Um, your fridge is, plural, uh, really, you came correct with the fridges. So yeah. we're just going to get into them right now. You guys can see Elan's fridges on my Instagram, at standupdan. I'm going to start with this guy over here. Because sure. I, I almost want to, I think I might want to make this your profile picture, which is your dry-aged fridge. Yep. And there is a duck just hanging. hanging yeah, out. he's actually, there's a complex story about this duck, and he actually has a little bit of an, a skin injury, which he know, he's, he's been eaten since, uh, since I took this picture a few days ago. Okay. Um, it's not the happiest story, to be perfectly honest. We could start with the dryager. I have a dryager. I have a partnership with dryager. Um, and so I dryage a lot of strange things. This duck is probably the least strange of them all. Um, yeah. But this is at my place in Brooklyn. But the duck itself is actually uh, was sent from a friend of mine named Michael Ginor, who also was a Great Neck resident and just passed away last week. Oh, no was in Israel doing an Ironman and uh, had a heart attack in the swimming section and just just died. Jesus Christ. It's like super tragic. So I'm happy I'm starting out uh, with this horrible tragic story, but I just, I have to say it because, you know, directly applies to this. He sent these ducks to me and my father to get for uh, Thanksgiving. So, you know, this one I kept and I dragged for a while. So I needed to sort of honor him with this one. Amazing. Um... Yeah. And is this a is this a farm duck or a hunted duck? Because it looks like it has no, like it's a farm. It is no, it's a farm. It's a farm duck. It got it got damaged. Um, I I think I think my dad probably grabbed it badly or something. But no, it's from Hudson Valley Foie Gras and Duck Farm. They they raise ducks, chickens. They do foie gras and uh, they raise these beautiful ducks and they're super delicious. And I was aging it for a while and I gave it to my I aged it for my dad and then we cooked it and ate it. I've always, I've kind of toyed with whether or not I should get a dry ager. Um, it, it seems like it does take up a lot of space. I love the idea of it, though. And I also think that, like, it's catching on a lot more now than it ever did, especially dry aged fish. I'm hearing about dry aged fish a lot more than I ever yeah. did. Um, yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. It sounds to me, it sounds, when I hear it, it sounds disgusting. Like, you want to eat fish fresh. Like, why would you want to dry age? Have you ever had the dry aged fish? I've done a lot of dry fish in the, in the ager. I mean, it's, it depends. Like fish is so different. Their fat content really has a, a large game to play in it. Would it really, for sort of 
more normalized fish, what I would, I would recommend is only going a few days. And that's really just to, you know, like if it's like thinner skinned flat fish, really just to dry out the outside and it produces a skin that's crispy, like you, like nothing you've ever had hmm. and it never sticks. And so like, I like to use it for that. If you're doing like giant, big pieces of very fatty fish, their flavor can get incredibly complex. The longer you let it go, like salmon, really good salmon. You can, um, you can age for a really, really long time. And it's never, it's, it's going to intensify the flavor of the meat itself, but it's not going to intensify the fishiness. In fact, it's actually going to remove some of that. How interesting. I mean, I feel like I'm always hearing different things about fish freshness. Like, are you supposed to have it fresh? Are you supposed to not have it fresh? Then there's like the weird Japanese way of like like stunning it when you catch it and just putting like yeah, a they wire bleed down it, like, their spinal uh, cord. Yeah, there's there I mean, there's there's so many different ways, but a lot of uh, a lot of sushi chefs have been you know putting some age on their fish. It just sort of it removes moisture, which you think something that comes from the ocean you want it to be sort of plump and wet but the quicker you're if they're never sitting on ice if they're just in a cold dry environment it'll actually make them last significantly longer interesting okay i want to go to your other fridges so sure your freezer has got chicken nuggets up top yeah um, two two packs of chicken nuggets two pa- kids chicken nuggets. i know that i know yeah. that uh, you are a father uh yes and uh even the kids of a, of a, of famous chefs need to have their chicken nuggets. Yeah, I mean they're good chicken nuggets, but they're chicken nuggets. My <laughs> like freezer's the, a little bit of a mess. I like bad chicken nuggets. I I I'm a big fan of the McDonald's chicken nugget. Of course, they're delicious. I mean, no argument I, about that. Have you? It's funny. I think there was like Jamie Oliver had some show where he was like trying to show kids how disgusting fast food is, and he like uh-huh. recreated chicken nuggets by like putting in the carcass and like putting it in a blender and. Yeah. And then like cooked it and like they were like, this is awesome. <laughs> he was like, no, that was <laughs> not the care. intended effect. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> um, is this foie gras over here in the front? No, in the it's another, it's those are duck breasts from the same place. Those are actually for my sister. I need to I've been holding them for her for a minute. But you, you are know, you're a big fan of the of the canard, which is something that we have in common. I love duck and lamb it's are one probably of my, favorite. my two favorites. Yeah arguably arguably two of my favorites too i think they're the most interesting you know in their own right and the top right you know what that is that orange thing um, yeah is that foie gras no not foie gras but it is the row it's the row of an animal oh interesting is it like uh it's fish i think it's i think it's fluke row really my friend gave it to me i'm trying to think yeah i think it's i think it's fluke row from giant fluke and i um i salted it and then sort of actually the dryer is really good for making charcuterie so i salted it and let it sort of air dry for a while and then i vacuum sealed and froze it because i didn't know i didn't have any application for it right now but is it like are you, you gonna botarga it so it's 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 that texture i just you know i didn't i didn't have anything to use it's actually two of them they're both in there frozen i've got i mean there's a lot if a chef looked at my freezer they'd notice a couple of other things Oh, what do you? Wow. Shots so fired. like, you're saying, so like those, no, you're saying that I'm just like a, a basic bitch. All right. You want to no, go? I'm just saying these are, these have, are, you don't these are for ice yeah, cream. These are ice yeah, cream. Okay. 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 But you want to play this fucking specific game? ice cream. You want to play this fucking game? They're, oh, now I have to tell what, for I, po- what ice cream maker they're for. Oh, what ice cream maker? Oh yeah. Everyone knows it's, uh, the Breville, uh, the, uh, RoboCoop ice cream. <laughs> No, they're from a Paco. They're from a Paco Jet. 
A Paco Jet. What's a Paco Jet? Yeah. Paco Jet is uh it's an ice cream maker that is it sort of makes ice cream the opposite way. So usually you take you make ice cream, you make a, a an anglaise or some sort of custard and you spin it and freeze freeze the outside of it while it's spinning so that it slowly freezes parts of it and it becomes creamy. What you do with a Paco Jet, you make your mix, you freeze it solid, like super duper solid, like ice. And then you put it in this machine that has this blade that sh- finally shaves it so it's technically more like ices but it's like on a microscopic level so you can create like super super creamy texture without you know you're, you'll never over mix it because you're spinning it from frozen so it's like you can't just take ice cream melt it then respin it melt it and respin it it'll eventually over mix and it'll mm-hmm. get kind of like like chunky and lumpy but this prevents that completely and it also you do things in smaller batches so if you want to make lots of different ice creams you can have like 10 different ice creams in a small area and just spin them as you need them i once made like super bootleg ice cream like where you take a mason jar put heavy cream put some flavor and then just like shake the shit out of it and then put it in the freezer it comes out surprisingly good yeah yeah i mean that's kind of like sort of how semifredo is done which is like you know, it, the ratios are a little bit different for a semi-fredo. And then you just sort of freeze it solid. And it's got so much like fat and creaminess that it doesn't really, and sugar that it doesn't really crystallize as much. Right. Almost right, like right. ice cream, ice cream loaf. Yeah. Yeah. I, have you ever fucked with Persian ice cream? With uh, the saffron like, ice with cream? Persian flavors? Yeah, of course. A huge yeah. fan of saffron ice cream. Um, I think saffron and sweet applications are amazing. Actually, on Top Chef, I made something with, I made a dessert with saffron, and it was one of the things that got me to get to the finale. Oh, very and cool. Ironically, it was the thing, Padma hated it. Padma, I don't think, I'm, Padma didn't like my food very much on the, on the show. Like once in a while. <laughs> really? But, yeah like she was like she would complain about certain i mean i don't know she's a lovely human i'm not i'm no negative feeling toward her i just i'm going based on what she said but i made i made this one dessert it was for the like the there were four of us in the finale and then this took it down to two and i totally thought that i lost and one of the things i made was this um i made like a fried pastry cream or i made pastry cream but i flavored it with it was with coconut milk and saffron it was like a take on a it's like a kind of a, a stretch but it was a take on a on how pia which is like a like a coconut custard like set with cornstarch it's like yeah. a, it's a hawaii it was in hawaii it was a it's a hawaiian uh dessert and then i froze it breaded it and fried it so it's kind of like a donut but mm. custard inside so it was like panko on the outside custard on the inside and like powdered sugar it was pretty awesome yeah that's pretty fun uh okay so now yeah. we're going into your fridge the All main right. main fridge uh great yeah. fridge family friendly Thanks. my big question is this every all everyone who comes on this podcast who has kids has to have these fucking yogurt packs what is it about yeah. kids who can't why can't they just have yogurt like the rest of us why does it have to be in a cool bag in a cool little bag with a with a cool little red top on it like just eat the it's fucking yogurt for, eat no the it's just yogurt. for school lunches it's just for school lunches if you look in the top there's other yogurt there's other regular yogurt that he has for home the pouches are only for travel what about the little, what happened to the little ones that we had growing up? Why the pouch? Why is the pouch taken it's, over? No, I'm not. The pouch isn't taken over. The pa- pouch is just for travel. The little ones you can't put in a, in a lunchbox because they get crushed. And then you have to give them a spoon and all that shit. This ah. you just throw it in the bag and it's done. It's very okay. convenient. Okay. And um, you've actually caught me on a bad day. There's Chobani in the back there. 
but I see, I don't even have the label facing because I Is really just it? took a picture right there, right there. That's a, the Chobani. That's Chobani. what I shout Chobani out to Nishan, shout out to, shout out to Nishant Roy. <laughs> shout out to Nishant Roy. Our friend Andy is like a, our friend is like a somehow became like second in command at Chobani. <laughs> None of us know, know how it happened. But uh, you went from working in the State Department to yogurt, <laughs> to yogurt operations. Yeah, to yogurt yogurt empires. So yeah, okay. So you got the Chobani over here. What is this? is this? Is this like whey over here? No, sourdough starter. It's just I haven't mixed oh, it in okay. a while. Sourdough starter. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, this looks like some fancy pants apple juice you have. Fancy yep. expensive yep. apple juice. It's for my son. He only drinks it. Yeah. He doesn't like any other apple juice. There really is something nice about a fresh apple juice, and you don't get it as much as like French fresh orange juice. Fresh OJ, you get yeah. that everywhere. Fresh, fresh yeah. AJ, not so much. No, AJ, no way. AJ, no way. You got the big ass tub, thick helmets up top. Yeah, yeah um, it's almost empty. I like that. It's funny. I feel like there was such a trend in the late two thousands of like everything you do has to be fresh and homemade, including your mayonnaise, including your this and your that. And then I feel like, I feel like Gabrielle Hamilton, the chef at Prune, was like started to serve stuff with, like canned canned fish, yeah, and like yeah. and triscuits and and everyone was like, oh, okay, we can do this. This is all right. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, well, I mean, mayonnaise. Like at all my restaurants, I used to make mayonnaise, and then at a certain point, it's like, what's the fucking point? It's not gonna. It's not better. They figured out a specific formula, like the main players, you know? Yeah. We used to make our own QP mayonnaise. Like at Ramen Hood, we, we don't serve it anymore, but we used to make a, a vegan QP, but like we would use, start with vegan A's and then we would sort of adjust it. But, you know, you're not, you know, you can't, like, you can't match. It's like making ketchup. It's stupid. It's a waste yeah. of time because you're never going to get those the specific amount of acid right and that amount of sugar like it's there's something they've been working on it for much longer than i have i'm not gonna yeah. like best best times <laughs> it's like making your own charcuterie it's like come on yeah i mean no i mean i've made charcuterie oh, okay <laughs> all right <laughs> um i like that you'll make your own charcuterie but you will outsource your mayonnaise <laughs> <laughs> um okay cool you got your are these balls of mozzarella over here yeah, that's uh, that's like part of it's like those fresh direct uh, pre-made sort of salad things. My lady likes to buy them when she when she's at home by herself. What's this over so here? She just uses oh, these are eye masks. Eye masks, not food. They're like under eye for puffy eyes. Is that for you or for your lady? I just start. I just started using them the past two days, but they're they're my ladies. They're not. <laughs> um, and this is a miso over here. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that I'm that I'm uh, not touching upon that I should be touching? I mean, upon? there's a lot. I mean, there's scallion kimchi in the top right next to the half and half behind the half and half. Yeah, interesting. That's scallion my kimchi. favorite. Did you did you yeah. make that yourself or outsource? No, no, no. I no. I, I buy I buy I buy the scallion kimchi. It's funny because there's also in that thing with the bag. That's a friend. Our neighbor made that kimchi, and I just had it last night for the first time. Right oh, yeah. directly at that. Yeah, that one. How did Napa cabbage become the go-to kimchi thing and everything? Like I've never even like scallion kimchi sounds like like you're re, you're you're stepping out of your lane, man. No, I mean there's radish kimchi, there's tons of kimchi. I I buy it at H Mart, which is not like you know it's not artisanal per se, but it's just delicious. Yeah. No scallion. I think I think to eat with to eat with like I'm trying to eat a little bit healthier, and so 
I think scallion kimchi is a bit more like cross compatible with a lot of different foods, good with eggs. It's also smaller, but I I like the flavor of onions sort of fermented. It kind of gives, it's a little bit punchier than just cabbage. Cabbage is more, cabbage is great, but it's like a more of a a blank canvas and scallion is a bit more intentional. Why is it called Napa cabbage? What does it have something to do with Napa? I don't know at all. I don't know why. Why is, why is Lacinto kale, Lacinto kale? Because it was invented by Jonathan Lacinto. Oh, that's then there you a go. Farmer, farmer Jonathan Lacinto. <laughs> um, uh, great fridge. Very good. Uh, Thanks. I, I'm trying to see. It's a very respectable, good fridge. A lot of the chefs have really awful, awful fridges. Um, yeah. Uh, you I cook got a little, lot at home. Little, oh, now here's, here's this. This door is interesting to me. I feel like, okay, so your Instagram is one of my favorite chef Instagrams to follow because thank you. you cook really interesting things. I'm not going to say that I look at it and I'm like, oh, I can make that because a lot of it, you, mm-hmm. you, use, you use a lot of random ingredients that I'm like, what the fuck is that? And I'm seeing a lot of them are in your door here. Yeah. And it's a lot of random Asian ingredients like the shio koji and the, um, I don't know, man. I don't know what. I don't there's know. There's QP, there's ranch, there's wasabi oil, which is that clear bottle right there. Wow. Um, okay. I've never even awesome, heard of wasabi oil. I didn't know that you could oil well, wasabi. I, no. Well, what happened, it's, it's kind of a, a weird reason why I have it. I used to, when I worked at Casamono, we used to make mustarda. We used to make a few different types of mustarda based on like the season. What is mustarda? This was available. Mustarda is like a sort of a sweet, spicy condiment that you make for you could put it on meats you could put it on cheeses and like um, a chutney type thing kind of yeah but you use it with with fruits like you know at customer we do like a duck with cherry mustarda when it was cherry season and we'd cook cherries down you know and then add add uh powdered mustard mustard seed and also we'd finish it with mustard oil and mustard oil is like super pungent. They actually, when you buy it at like Calustians and a lot of these spice shops, it says that it's not for human consumption. It's meant for like massages because it Amazing. like, it like warms up your, it's like, um, almost like a, whatchamacallit, like a tiger bomb or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, but, but it's, I mean, it's edible. Don't take, don't, don't quote me on that, but I've eaten it. But so, but a lot of the time I'll buy it and it goes rancid really easily. So yeah. like that super pungent, like mustardy, like horseradishy flavor, it's encapsulated, but then it goes rancid. And then I was like shopping around and I found wasabi oil and it has that same punch, a little bit more of like a wasabi kick, but like that same power. So you add like a couple drops to something and it can just really sort of bring it alive. Interesting. So I use that a lot. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You made something this week that kind of broke my brain where you, it was a real fuck you to the cow. Where it was a burger <laughs> that was infused with bone marrow, and which I've seen that before, but what I'd never seen before was that you you took beef jerky, you pulverized it, you turned it into a powder, and then you yeah you you kneaded that into the meat, and I was like, what the fuck, man? And how I'm so I've never been so curious about. I was like, I must try that. I mean, I what did that do to it? Like, it didn't add a crunch. Was it no, like- no, no, it turned into a powder. So the whole, the idea of it is to sort of intensify the 
just intensify the beef flavor. You know, that's the same reason that why we're talking about dry aging before. Same reason why people dry age it. You know, you're doing this controlled rot, but also you're removing moisture from it. So right. sometimes you'll have a really deeply dry aged steak and it won't be very moist. You know, you'll have moisture from the fat and you'll have like mouthfeel, but it, there'll be like sort of a inherent dryness, even if it's cooked perfectly medium rare. But but you have that like intensified beef flavor because there's just there's less water in it to sort of water it down. Right. right. And so I kind of approached it from a different point of view to try and do that without removing anything. So I'm just sort of adding beef flavor. Now, the problem is I, I tried it. I did two sort of batches of it. And one I did. You want to use a beef jerky if you're doing it. You want to use beef jerky with no sugar in it because oh, what okay, happens right. is beef. We don't realize how how sugary most beef jerkies are, and it's right. not because of you know be careful of your sugar, but it's like it just takes away from that flavor, and you don't want it. To it ends up making everything sort of taste like teriyaki, which is good, but it's not what I was going for. Right, so right, I was really right. just sort of intensifying. So like, there's a lot of like like biltong is cool, you know, the, like uh, South African biltong. Biltong and, to me is like moist though. I feel like that would be tough to turn into a powder. Yeah, but I froze it before also. Oh, got it. Um, That's cool. I froze. I mean, it, it was, I didn't use built time. I just used, I, I think like Tillamook has a zero sugar jerky, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, it's good. Good jerky that I eat, um, that I eat on a regular basis. And I, I froze, it didn't probably need to be frozen, but just kind of helped the process. Same yeah. reason I like freeze my, freeze my coffee beans before I grind them, not to keep them fresh, but just to like, so that they grind a bit better. Yeah. Um, is there an ingredient that, I should have in my fridge that I don't that is like kind of like what's a go-to that you use for like like you couldn't live without these days I have a lot of white soy and white tamari because it kind of like it's just like a booster for everything I mean I use nutritional yeast on so many things I think it's like one of those go-to umami like it goes with so many things makes makes cheese sauces taste cheesier uh i've never it makes used it because amazing I, to me it seems like isn't that like one of those like i don't know it feels like one of those fake foods that brags makes that are like you that are like in in weird health food stores because people don't want to use parmesan no no and, and but that but that's why i think it tastes it tastes good at ramen we season the mushrooms with it um and it just gives it this like super like round flavor it's not even that it makes it taste cheesy it just sort of it's another way of adding umami in in a non-traditional sense um but but i was using i was doing a lot of consulting with uh, my friends at doghouse in their uh -huh. their pasadena base and we worked on like these different cheese sauces and i used i used you know a little bit of white meat so there was like a lot of things that i did to sort of amp up the flavor and adding nutritional yeast to an actual cheese sauce makes it the cheese sauce like even more pungent and more rounded so it's like it's it's cool to add it in sort of unexpected places i add it to my son's pasta all the time mm -hmm. um so it's like i you know nutritional yeast is, is a big one um you know you're saying shiokoji that stuff is amazing i mean there's a lot of condiments that are sort of ready to go you can find in japanese supermarkets like I go to uh, Mitsuwa in in Edgewater, New Jersey, yeah, and I'll buy that. I'll buy like what's shiro dashi, which is like concentrated dashi liquid. It's shelf stable. You just add it to a soup or something. It's just these things that sort of add tons of they're just building blocks of flavor that really kind of enhance all of your all the stuff that you're already cooking. You just add a little like all my tomato sauces. I add white miso too. Not a lot, just a little bit, mm -hmm. but it kind of like it gives it more roundness. It gives it more body. 
tomatoes have a ton of umami, fermented uh, soybeans have a ton of umami, and it kind of, you know, lighter ones. I wouldn't do like a super deep aged one, but yeah. like lighter ones. And you never know it's there. It's just, you know that it tastes great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I've always been, I feel like I've followed your career now for, I don't even know how long, 15 years and probably longer even. And I feel like whenever you've done something food wise, like it has piqued my interest like crazy. And I feel like we met initially when you were at Casamono, which um, I mean, I, that place has had a, a Michelin star for probably longer than, than most restaurants. Yeah, um, it didn't when I was there. It only got the Michelin star after I left. Yes, that's <laughs> we call that the Elon Hall effect. Um, <laughs> no, but the uh, the food that you were cooking there was so, I don't know. It's so, uh, Casamono is so interesting because you can s- sit right by the bar and you can see the chefs cook two feet away from you. And everything you see, you're like, oh, I could do that. I could do that. But then you taste it and you're like, what the fuck did they just do? Like, I saw everything they did and it was like a little yeah. magic trick. Um, the food was, was so Andy. flavorful. Yeah. I mean, that was Andy's genius. Andy, who's still still the owner, he, he had such a grasp. He has such a grasp on flavor. And like the basis of that restaurant was just, it's not even, because it wasn't traditional. It took traditional bits and pieces from, from Spanish food, but then kind of infused the things that that he learned about about you know composition and flavor running the kitchens at at Poe and Babo like he just became he just really had a great a great grasp of yeah. of flavors and why they worked and why you know we cooked with so much more sugar there than i ever have in my life really it was very like yeah just a lot of sweet and sour play a lot of a lot of sort of you know it was just i mean it was it was my favorite job i've ever had by far and, you know, it was the the crew. It was. And then Anthony, who became, you know, the chef after, you know, after I left, he was sous chef when I was there and he and then he became the chef. He just sort of, you know, honed it and made a lot of things his own, brought new a sort of new approach to it, you know, using whole animals and making their own charcuterie there. And that, and that stuck with it. And it's, you know, it's stood the test of time. It still has a Michelin star. It's has like I think it's had. 12 in a row or something like that yeah, 11 in a row, like something crazy they ran out of space on, on top of the kitchen to to keep all the stars which is so cool it's amazing i love that place and then you and then you basically and then i think you did top chef right after that but then you opened a restaurant and this was kind of when i moved to la that it still remains like one of the most break my brains restaurants in my restaurant memory which was the gorbals uh you opened it downtown and it was like I, you were basically the, I think you were the first restaurant that did the kind of hipsterification of Jewish food, let's call it. Like taking Jewish foods, like Ashkenazi foods, and 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 just kind of, I don't know, using that as a template to, pl- to play with. And yeah. you played so boldly with it, and it was so fun. And I remember the, you know, the, the dish everyone was, would talk about was the matzo ball with the bacon wrapped around it because it was like, you know, obviously so sacrilegious and stuff, but it sounded kitschy, but then you tasted it and you were like, holy fuck, these two, it was like Romeo and Juliet. Like they're not supposed to be together, but they should be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's very, very kind. That holds a very special place in my heart, that restaurant. Oh my Um, God. It was the best. Thanks. Yeah. And it was, I mean, everything about it was in such a weird location. I mean, it was just, the whole thing was very, 
was awesome. And I miss, I was talking to somebody today about, about I want to do a pop-up in, in LA. I was going to do it before COVID and then COVID. Um, but I want to do like a big weekend somewhere downtown. I mean, maybe in the original location, it's empty right now, but, oh, wow. uh, um, I mean, they closed up the kitchen though, so it's not open. So right, I have right. to do some construction, but I don't know. It was just, it was like my favorite thing in the world. And, and, you know, just having, you know, it was like pure freedom. Yeah. After, after, you know, working for people and doing all the stuff, I, I had nobody telling me what to do. It was kind of crazy. What was your favorite dish that you came up with for that restaurant? Honestly, I liked it. There wasn't a dish cause we changed. So we had like five or six core things on the menu that never really changed. And the rest was just freestyle like yeah. on a daily basis. So, you know, some, I, and I developed relationships with like certain farms and stuff. So I'd get one, like I'd get, a goat in and do something with a goat for a day and then gone the next day, you know? So we'd on the chalkboard, I'd like write, you know, braising the shank, uh, roasting the loin, you know, braising the head. I mean, the the pig head was a big thing. I mean, the pig wasn't really my idea. We did a whole pig's head, the half split pig's head. And then when we moved to New York, we did a a whole pig's head, but um, that stuff was fun, but that was, you know, that's, that's like a Fergus Henderson thing that we we sort of tried to put our own spin on. the banh mi poutine was kind of one of the best. I mean, that wasn't even completely, that wasn't even my idea. It was our cooks, like, you know, after the fact, telling me that they got high while they were cleaning up after I'd already left. And they were like fucking around with different bits and pieces. Right. And then, then I'm like, okay, let's make it into a dish. Um, but I mean, there was a, I think you didn't, you used Manischewitz as a braising liquid. Was that? That was like early on. It actually didn't work as well as I thought it would. I was doing, I was trying to be cheeky and like writing a menu of like, what can I do that's, (laughs) that shouldn't exist together. You know, I've already got bacon wrap matzo balls, which was good. And then sort of, you know, trying to bring, bring other things in that theme together. But then it sort of grew onto its own thing. I mean, the broccoli that we served there was like, it was sort of an accidental dish because we were making a dish with broccoli stems and where we would shave them down and use them like asparagus. And it was great, but a head of broccoli is like this big and you get one thin stem right. from it. So we'd have to, we'd have so much extra broccoli florets and at a certain, we were just frying them. And I'm like, I was actually kind of making fun of David Chang. I'm just like, you know, soy sauce, vinegar, brown sugar, chili flakes. And we just kind of, fucked around and then we'd fry them and dip them in that and we still sell that aroma it became our most popular dish and it became it was our money maker because a case of broccoli at the time now it's not this way but a case of broccoli at the time was like was like eight dollars and we'd get like 45 portions out of that and we'd serve a portion for like six dollars and at a certain point we moved it to like seven dollars right right so we were making each each order was like costing us a quarter so it was like you know, so, you know, but you need things like that in business. You need like, you know, there's always lost leaders and then you need things that actually make you money to make up for the fact that you're, you know, buying whole animals from artisanal farms and stuff. Well, that's an interesting question. Like what are typically when you look at a menu, I'm sure you can tell right away, like which ones they're making money on and which ones they're losing money on. Like what, what categories fall into those two, the money makers and the money losers? Well, I mean, it's funny because we, we, I started the restaurant with the intention to have everything be very low cost and everything have a really good food, food percentage. And then slowly as we sort of settled in after a few years, you know, you kind of, you want to flex your 
flex your creative muscle in different ways. But I mean, you know, we started, there were no primal, like no, no higher end cuts on the menu at all. We actually, I don't even think we did toward the end. I'm not even talking about your place specifically. I'm saying in general, when you go to a restaurant, is it like typically like the red meat is they're not, they're making less money on than they are on the salads or is it hard to tell? It's hard. It's hard to tell. I mean, vegetables these days are incredibly expensive, especially quality ones. Yeah. Um, In California, you have a bit more, you know, super fresh variety. Like you can get lower cost vegetables that are at a a higher, higher quality in California, especially in Southern California. Um, You know, it depends. I mean, now, you know, something like oxtail is $10 a pound. What happened to oxtail? Oxtail became popular. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's People so realize, funny you mentioned that. Yeah. I was like, I saw it. Yeah. I, I went to Whole Foods and I saw it at ten dollars. I was like, what the fuck is oxtail? Was like two dollars yeah. a pound. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's these things are wild. I mean, we had beef tongue on the menu, which I think beef tongue is still relatively affordable. We had a, that was actually one of my favorite dishes. Beef tongue is a great one because it's it's pure yeah. meat. Yeah. And we would do it on the plancha. We did like a romesco sauce with it. It was kind of like a, like we had like a citric acid breadcrumbs. It was cool. It was I'm really surprised good. beef tongue hasn't like, I don't know. I, I, I like to consider myself food Stradamus that I can make a food. What's going to be the next hot thing. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised beef tongue. Well, it, it's never gone mainstream. Yeah. You know, it's, Listen, so that's, good, it's that's good for people like me. Right. You know, if I want to try and keep making money off of it. Yeah, but. I know. It's true. Although there is a, the, the, the Rosh Hashanah mafia will, uh, the kosher, the kosher butchers like totally price gouge the price of beef tongue on Rosh Hashanah okay. because, <laughs> because they use it. It's like a traditional dish, especially with, with Persians. They use it. But yeah, man, they yeah. fucking will like 4X that shit <laughs> right before the holidays. Which I mean, is uh, very, very Jewish of them. Yeah, it's very Jewish of them. I can't hate them for it. No. Alon loves feeding his kid yogurt out of a pouch. I hate these pouches, but I never knew why. Well, I did a little digging, and here's what I found. Uh, cut to the chase, I'm right. The pouch industry, or as I like to call it, big pouch, is responsible for over $100 million in sales a year. But that's not the big deal. The big deal is pediatricians say that these pouches are turning kids into picky eaters who don't care to be adventurous about food because they care more about the vehicle it comes in than what's in it. And nobody's going to put any fun food in a pouch. It's stupid vegetable purees and yogurt. Not just that, pouch foods are significantly higher in sugar than non-pouch. So your annoying picky eater child is now also going to be full of cavities. See, I knew my aversion was valid. Stop supporting big pouch. Okay, I'm done. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, so I'm going to get to the questions that I ask every guest towards uh, sure. the, the middle of the podcast, starting with what is your earliest food memory? Fried calamari in Greece. Interesting. That was the thing. Yeah, we were in a small island called Skiathos, and it was like 
before I was five years old, five or six years old. And that was the, that's my first memory I have of food where I was like, I ate it. I was like, Oh, this is, this is something. I have no memory of food before that. Wow. And I remember having a conversation with my dad about it and him being like, you got to try this. Cause I was iffy about trying it. And I tried it and I was like, it changed things for me. Wow. That's a cool one. But I always see, I'll always have a special place for fried calamari. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's to hate about fried calamari? It's always, it's always great. It's always great. Are you into the cone, the, the, the cylinder part or the uh, tentacle part? I always liked the tentacles when I was little, but I like it all. I don't, yeah. I don't discriminate with calamari. <laughs> yeah. I like them brown, yellow, Puerto Rican or Haitian. Um, what <laughs> is your death row meal? So let's think of a good reason that you are on death row. Oh, out of nowhere, um, some fucking annoying food blogger talks about beef tongue being the hot new thing. It goes to 20 <laughs> bucks a pound. <laughs> you lose your shit at the butcher. You grab his knife and you just start going to town. Now you're on death yeah. row. For killing the poor butcher who had nothing to do with it. It was the influencer nothing who did to do it. Him. You know, yeah. you killed the messenger. And uh, now you're on death row. What is your death row meal? Perfectly cooked French fries mm-hmm. with it's like crispy but fluffy inside. Cupy mayo or the cod romeo from, uh, I mean, I would say Cupy because it's like super clean and like I just want to have like pure thoughts before I die. But the Cod Romeo from this place I used to go to, Yakitori Taisho, which is no longer exists on St. Mark's, they used to have like just these amazing like fat fries with Cod Romeo and it was just super good. Little bit fishy, tart, delicious. Um, yeah. And as a dessert, but just French fries, like I don't, nothing else. Just fries. And just perfect fries. I mean, I'm going to die. I just want like that, that flavor, that like crunch and that little bit of grease. Yeah. You know, that and, uh, and Haagen-Dazs vanilla ice cream. Vanilla. Interesting. Haagen-Dazs vanilla. Nothing, not vanilla bean, just Haagen-Dazs vanilla. I would normally say Haagen-Dazs cookies and cream, but like, I want to, I want to go out with like that sort of perfection of what, of what breast milk should taste like. I think I just want to like, I came out, I started that's, and then I want to go. A turn. That took a turn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh Hagen does vanilla just like breast cream <laughs> breast cream um, no but it's like a, the pure it's like one of the purest like sweet nourishing flavors no i'm with you actually Hagen does is also i kind of put it in an interesting category where they are one of these kind of like it's kind of like the uh like the heinz and the hellman's where like they have some flavors that no one else can do better their vanilla, yes. no one else can be there. Their coffee, go fuck yourself. Yeah. No one has ever gotten close. Ever, I've tried Not all even, the no. hipster ones, all the oh, single origin. Fuck your single origin. Yeah. I've <laughs> tried. No, I've tried to make coffee ice cream. It never, it, it, like, they're the gold. They're the gold standard. They really are. They're unbelievable. What is, do you have an ideal French fry, like a place that makes it or a way to make it? Everyone no, goes nuts on the thrice cooked, four times cooked, five times cooked. Well, the way we, we cooked them three times and I think we sort of figured it out. You know, there's a lot of people, I don't know if you've seen any of the modernist stuff where they like put it in a sonicator, they like, they blanch it and then they put it in this bath that does like high, high speed. And it's meant to break the surface up very ever so slightly so that when you fry it, it's got micro textures on it. Oh my God. Hilarious. A little bit much. 
but we no, we 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 did them. We worked on them for a really long time. I made them a lot of different ways, and, and the way that we figured was the best texturally. Once we had a combi oven in, in New York, we would steam them. So we'd cut the fries, mm-hmm. we'd cut them by hand, we'd steam them till they were just tender, cool them down, then we'd fry. You know, we'd blanch them in oil, like two fifty to two seventy five. So you wouldn't boil and, them. No, we'd steam them instead of boiling them. Interesting. In LA, we boiled them because we didn't have a combi oven. So in LA, we would, it, it's actually a better way to impart flavor. So we do like herbs and garlic and a bunch of stuff. And we actually got a lot of write-ups for our fries. Jonathan Gold loved our fries. Oh, cool. Um, so I mean, that's probably a better a better way to do it. So we'd, we'd bring them up in an oven though. We wouldn't like boil them on a stovetop. We would, right. we would water herbs, garlic, tons of stuff, salt. Um, and then we'd put them in the, the oven till they just got tender, let them cool down remove them very, very gingerly, then cool them down as much as possible just so you can handle them better. And then we would fry them in um, in low oil, 250 to 275, until they got like a little bit of golden, mm-hmm. take them out, let them cool down, and then freeze them. Mm. And then and then from the freezer, we'd have like like little bags, like gallon-sized bags just yeah. in a freezer on the line, and we just take handfuls out and fry them straight from frozen in like 375, and they're perfect. Uh. Yeah. With all the herbs and garlic and all the stuff that it was cooked with, we were just like that would be a part of it. Yeah, there's nothing there. There, there's nothing better than a good French fry. Um, I yeah. it's funny. I was just realized that you have QP mayo and regular mayo in your fridge. When do you go for one over the other? I mean, correct me. I I think we covered QP in a different episode, but it's basically mayo with some MSG and like a little bit more eggy. Is that right? It's a little bit more tart. There's uh, some rice vinegar in it, I believe. Mm. Um, so it's got just like a little bit more acid. The MSG and the acid sort of play with each other to make like a, a new different flavor. Um, I just, I mean, it depends. Depends what mood I'm in for. I mean, I like Hellman's. I think Hellman's is super clean and just like the gold standard. I mean, growing up eating BLTs, fuck, that'd be a good final meal too, BLT. Yeah. How about that I Duke's love, mayo? I'm into the Duke's mayo also. Dukes is great too. I mean, you know, different, different regions have different, have different things. I just didn't grow up with it. You know, I get it. We get it in Pennsylvania. We're upstate. We were right on the Pennsylvania border. So we get Dukes when we're there at Walmart. Is so that a Dukes Pencil- is very good. Is it a Pennsylvania thing? Is it not? No, it's a not New York thing. They don't sell it at the supermarkets in New York. So like, I guess Pennsylvania is more South. Um, so it's closer it's just weird how regionally different things exist in different places so yeah yeah um okay this one's gonna be interesting what is the best high-end meal that you've ever had i think the second meal at noma the second meal at noma so the so you're saying the first time you went it wasn't as good as the second time you went no it was just it's just been very different every single time i'm just you know if i'm gonna I've been three times. I've been very fortunate to be three times. Uh, once in the original location, and twice in the current location. Uh, I mean, the first time was could have. It was the first one because the first one, the first one was the best one. I'll tell you why. Okay. I went with my lady. She was there. For, she was in in Copenhagen for work, and I like booked a flight. I was only there for a couple of days when we were still living in LA. And my friend CJ had just finished working there. And he kind of introduced me to someone to try and get on a wait list. And I was going to go to Copenhagen, no more or not. And as I was on my way to the airport, I got a text from Renee Redzepi saying that, that I'm in for like the following day. It was like, it was like, I asked for it. Then like two days later, I had a reservation okay. for the two of us. 
And so we, we go to the restaurant and as we get walk closer to it, cause it was on a pier, as we walk closer to it, the entire staff comes out of the restaurant and Rene Redzepi walks, walks toward us with, with two glasses, with two empty uh, champagne glasses and somebody behind him follows him and fills them and greets us outside of the restaurant Come on. and hands us a glass of champagne. And that was the beginning of our meal. And it was like, all right. Like that was kind of the best. Holy cow. And then it just proceeded. And then it was just like the most interesting, most creative meal I've ever had. I think technically they've, they're more dialed in with their sort of the theme and their, their seasonal theme, but that was like balls to the wall. The most, the most comprehensively interesting meal I've ever had in my life. Yeah. That sounds pretty, pretty insane. I mean, it's funny. Like whenever I look at the stuff I've never been, but some of it, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know how many ants I need to eat. <laughs> no, it's something they, cause it's all with intention. Like there's right. no, and I'm not, a, and I'm not like, I'm not a red Zeppi simp. I just, I love the, that there's a place where so much thought and effort can go into something that's not stuffy. Yeah. You know, that's not, it's just, it's a, it's special place. Got it. What is the best low-end meal you've ever had? So this can be like a street taco, a street dog. Low-end. I honestly, I had I had some really cool shit when I was in the Philippines. Mm. Just stuff on, really stuff on skewers. But, you know, there'll be, there's like a stand and you've got, what they do in, in the Philippines, which is really cool, is they'll, they'll take squid, they'll dry it, they'll run it through this machine, which they do in a lot of, a lot of countries to sort of serve it as a snack. Um, they'll run through this machine to tenderize it, but then they'll either grill or fry it again. So it's kind of like crunchy, chewy, you know, glazed mm. with something sort of sweet and sour. Um, Love that. So yeah, I mean, skewers, skewers in 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 the Philippines are pretty insane. That is a good one. I I, I think I've had the uh, I call it squid candy. I think in like yeah. the Koreans make it too. That's like the best like bar snack. Yeah, but then the Philippines, they'll they'll take that and then they'll deep fry it. Oh, that's so yeah. it's like it turns it into something. It's not just like chewy, it's like yeah. crunchy. It makes your breath really, really disgusting, but it's right. like super flavorful. Like no, that's of, cool. You win, Philippines. That's yeah. <laughs> deep fry it, you win. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite uh drunk food? I'm gonna be repetitive, but French fries. Yeah. French fries is always the winner. I mean, I can't even the worst French fry is going to be satisfying but i don't drink that much anymore so it's not a really common thing yeah yeah yeah. so then i shouldn't even ask you what your hangover cure is or was no i have it though i have it okay give cure. it to me it's um a large and don't be all don't be all religious about it like the cure is not drinking the night before <laughs> no i'm about to tell you no large coconut water um uh -huh. coconut water a large alcoholic kombucha Mm -hmm. um a red bull or a like whatever energy drink you like but like a red bull kind of kind of fits the bill and then uh then for ibuprofen interesting it's all it's, liquid yeah it's not a fun hangover cure it's like a real hangover cure i like the fun ones that don't yes. really work but they're fun <laughs> no my, no <laughs> mine like, really you a, works you need a pizza or you gotta wrap a donut in a pizza <laughs> no that just makes you feel shittier you want like Fluid, caffeine, pain relief. Boring. And, you know, sorry, you asked me questions. Like you answered. Sorry, I didn't know. Uh, I had a uh, fucking Dr. Fauci on here giving me the uh, the real 
the real advice, the real medical advice. Um, uh, B12 shot, uh, <laughs> an ice bath. I was going to say Dr. Oz, and I was like, that's a little more charged. Uh, who's your favorite celebrity food personality? There's so many to choose from. I know. You get um, one. I, I'm, I'm loving Guy Fieri right now. Wow. I'm loving Guy Fieri right now. <laughs> tell me, tell he's, me why. He's very, are he's you very being ironic? In, in, are you being ironic? No, 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 not, no, 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 not at all. Not okay. the slightest. Um, it has nothing to do with the fact that I might have just been doing something with him on a television, but cool. No, um, no, he he was one of the first people to really sort of raise funds to try and alleviate, you know, issues that people were having during COVID, during the beginning right. of COVID, when every restaurant in the world shut down. So, I mean, that's he jumped to action immediately, you know, used his platform for good. I don't know. I just, I, you know, everybody has their opinions at certain points in time and he grew no, on I'm me. And I, 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 no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I really am a big fan. He's pretty generous. He's really generous. He's really nice. He cares about the industry and that's where I'm going. I like it. I'll take it. I'll accept yeah. it. Who is, or what is your desert Island food? It could be French fries is, is what I'm thinking here. So you're trapped no. on a desert Island. There's one food you can eat for the rest of your life. Uh, what is it going to be? And you also don't have to be literal like you were with the hangover cure of like, it all needs to be coconut water to, for survival. I was going to say coconuts. Yeah, coconuts. Coconuts are uh, great. I'm thinking practically because coconuts. I can burn the husks great. and get smoke, uh, a smoke signal. <laughs> no, I would honestly, honestly, if it's on a desert island, it would be something practical, but it would be fish. I can eat yeah. fish all day long. Fat, oil, crunchiness. You could smoke them. You could eat it raw. It gives yeah. me the most diversity in a food, you know, because that's what you're looking for. If you only can eat one thing for the rest of your life, you want that to be as sort of malleable as possible. I think that's a great that's a great answer. Thanks. It, it's a very malleable answer. Um, I think. Well, what if you had one fish, though? Uh, it would be pompano. Pompano. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I know pompano. What is I've, I've heard those. It's a slightly more warmer water fish. Go, grows it, it uh, breeds all along the Atlantic, but it, they have it in Florida. It comes in Florida a lot. It's sort of a flat fish, but fatty. Mm -hmm. uh, grills beautifully, beautiful raw. It's flat but fat, so it's like it's not like a a, a sole or a or a flounder or a fluke. It's like a little bit plumper, so it's mm -hmm. got a lot more give. Very delicious. If you ever see it, you should get it. Interesting. Okay. Um, what do you think about, there's a fish that's having a real fucking moment, which is uh, mm. turbo. People yeah. are going nuts for the turbo. Turbo's is it because it's a really fun name? I mean, it is a great fish. It has a very fun name, though. It's, it, I mean, it's arguably one of, you know, Pompano is my favorite, but turbo's on on a level i mean it's got tons of collagen it's really fatty grills really well you can eat it raw. you know it's it's the same sort for the same sort of reasons like it yeah it really has a lot of a lot of range um but i mean the best way to do it is grill it over charcoal to keep moving it around we you know i get them and they're not like you know they're farmed ones but fresh direct sells whole turbos so no sometimes way. i'll get them and i'll just i swear to god and i'll just i'll just put them on the grill now they're not like you know the yeah, fucking you're, best. You're not in Spain you know. on the coast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're not. You're not in what's the town? You're not in a uh, Guitaria at like you know. I'm right. I'm watching, looking at the coast, and that's all they do. But no. But the best thing to do with that is they they do this mix of like 
lemon juice, garlic, and a little bit of olive oil. And as you're you're grilling it, and because they're in those open sort of fish baskets, you just keep basting it with this like vinaigrette, and it sort of sits out and ferments a little bit, and it just like it's amazing, oh, kind of glazes the outside. It's like one of those super super duper simple flavors that is just perfect, so you don't need to fuck with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, big fan of the turbo. Soul also having another moment. I mean, Soul keeps having a moment here and there, but Dover Soul, and then there's Lingcod, fake ass. Oh, Lingcod, fake ass. I mean, it's a different, it's a different fish. It's good, good too, Lingcod. Oh, Very good. Fucking fake ass cod, man. I was expecting a flaky ass cod, and I got some <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Is there a food that you can't stand eating? Yeah, what's that? You can actually help me with the name, maybe if you know. Um, when I was in Israel, when I was a kid, there was this like it's like thick desserty drink that's flavored with like rose water. I think it's an Iranian thing. I don't know, but in the same vein, I'm I'm with you. I think some of these like my the one I the food I can't stand eating is uh, or is also a Persian drink. It's called duh, which is like carbonated yogurt drink and it's that's but that's what it is oh that's what really? it fucking is no yeah <laughs> it's yogurt yogurt but there's rose water in it right i don't know that there's rose. <laughs> i don't know but it's carbonated that's the this is the it's like it comes it's out of fucking a, gross it's the worst thing in life yeah that's what, okay we're talking about the same thing see i got it wrong because the last time i drank it i was a child and I was yeah. like, never again. It had one. to be so that. That's it. I had it that as a child that, yeah. too, and I was completely traumatized by it. While my grandfather's yeah. like, "Isn't it great?" I'm like, "No." It's like sour fucking. Oh yeah, it's the milk worst. soda. Yeah, it's like mm. sour milk, like sort of turned milk soda. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who in Iran was like, "Let's give this a shot." Yeah. It's all accidental. It's like bread. Bread was oh. an accident. Oof, this yeah, this that bread was a happy accident. This was yeah. a tragic accident. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now my favorite question, which is, uh, yes. what are your restaurant pet peeves? I hate. It's hard to describe, but I hate fucked up plating. And when I say fucked up plating, it's it's a restaurant that thinks that they are better than they are. Is trying to project this sort of this high endness, but they don't know the basics of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So like there was this, somebody sent me a review today of a restaurant where, where there was like a tic-tac-toe and there was like a piece of radish on one end. And then, but like this sparse, super intentional, but with no thought process. It's just like, we need to make this fucking gorgeous. And like, that's the thing that comes before what the food actually is. Right. So, you know, that's sort of over the top plating. Now I like funny plating. Like there's this pop-up restaurant in Philly called rocks. It's not pop-up. It's a, it's a, like a BYOB. It's kind of like a, I haven't been yet, but I'm a huge fan of the chef's Instagram. Her name's Alexandra and it's called Roxanne. And she did pastry for a while and just like her platings i'll send you a link to it but like her platings are super some of them are super funny one looks like a cigarette in an ashtray so it's like thoughtful but cheeky and not not just like we need to make this look like a piece of miro art like that that shit pisses me off right right so right. like just over the pretentious plating sorry i could have just said that in one in one uh, one very very short we're going to edit out your whole answer and just have... Yeah, my whole answer. Pretentious plate. You're just going to double what you're saying. Pretentious plate. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think there's also like 
first year out of culinary school plating, like, and yeah. like, like dots on a plate are usually. <laughs> yeah. I listen, we've all been, we've all been guilty of it uh, in the past. It's just, you know, and it's fine. I'm not going to like it, you know, and sometimes it can be the case where, where there's super pretentious plating and then the food is actually good. And then I'm like, okay, like you're a douchebag, yeah. but you know how to fucking cook. Um, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, like, cause it all, at the end of the day, it all comes down to how delicious things are. I mean, I can, I services become more important as I get older, but still incredible food beats everything yeah, for me. Absolutely. Well, uh, pretentious plating is definitely a first, but no one's ever had that as their pet peeve. So congrats on being, uh, on being <laughs> number being one. Original. It's a good one. It's a great one. Um, yeah. all right, Alon, tell the people where they can find you. That was it. We're done. That's, That's it. it. It's so quick. That's it. Is there, is there something hour. you wanted to cover that we didn't cover? No, no. I, you know, it's funny. Cause I, I, I was thinking while you were saying, I just love super delicious food. I was thinking that one of the most, I love skirt steak. It's probably my favorite cut of meat. And I think I reached out to you because the best skirt steak I've ever had was that Casamono. And so maybe we can end with you giving people the skirt steak recipe at Casamono, how that went down, because I, it's it's so delicious and so wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it was the so the steak itself was just marinated with like dried porcinis yeah. and olive oil, I think. And then so that was that was it. So we would just wrap, mix it with that and then pack it in in the containers to have underneath the the griddle underneath the plancha, and then underneath it was just. Um, romesco sauce, which was onions, piquillo peppers, garlic, red wine, vinegar, olive oil, salt and pepper, a little bit of breadcrumbs. And then on top was onion mar- marmalada, which was red onions, sliced down, cooked in sugar, bay leaf, red wine. And then when it sort of got to like a jammy consistency, we'd finish it with a little red wine vinegar, adjust salt, and that was it. So it'd be the romesco. Steak cooked on the plancha, salt, pepper, till it was like, you know, medium rare. Slice it on, onion on top. That was it. It was perfect. So good. So Pretty it was porcini, it was a porcini powder? No, no, no. It was like, like trunks of porcini, like dried porcinis. So like. Oh, no way. Um, oh, wait, no, they changed it. I'm sorry. I lied. That was for the lamb. That was the lamb marinade. But it, it, it honestly, I don't know, you know, olive oil marinades are kind of like bullshit like yeah. nothing really penetrates they're just kind of like something that when you throw it on the outside so really it's just a beautifully grilled skirt steak yeah on the on the plancha griddled on the plancha and those two components i mean it was yeah. just you know chunky savory and sweet on top that's why you know lots of sugar at Casamono. i love it i love it yeah. um it's worth getting diabetes for that steak yes absolutely. for sure all right, thank you, bro. <laughs> it was good talking to you. Good talking to you too. I'm glad we finally made this happen. Yeah, you can find me at my Instagram. That's really the only place I am. Elon One of Hall. my favorite chef Instagrams. At is it at Elon Hall? At Elon Hall. I L A N H A L L. Boom. It's so much fun, and uh, he's very responsive. If you have any questions, he will love to answer them. <laughs> or at it's least true. he does. He no, does with me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, bro. Thank you great. so much.